Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Patrick Williams from TheAHL.com. We're going to discuss the Calder Cup Finals, uh, you know, the Stanley Cup coming out and the AHL representation there. Some news with coaching changes and all of that fun stuff. But first, Patrick, what's like to be back in, in Hershey after a little sunny vacay you had in, in Coachella? Vacay may yeah. be the wrong word. Yeah, vacay is the wrong word. Um, it was hockey, hockey, hockey. Um, it was it was fast. Like, you know, Thursday, game one, fr- Saturday, game two. Friday was practice day in between. Friday, or Sunday, you're out. So, um, <clears throat> quick in that regard, like, that's just how the playoffs go, right? Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's good to be back in Hershey. Um, sold out buildings, all three games. Like, great atmosphere at both buildings. Obviously, two very different kind of atmospheres in the sense Hershey's the historic franchise mm-hmm. around since 1938. is the new kid on the block, uh, just started this year. Um, kind of a developing fan base. Like, you know, there was no real mm-hmm. hockey history there to speak of coming into this year. So the fans there are, are still kind of learning the game. But, like, what they lack maybe in terms of the, you know, technical side, they certainly make up for with the uh, – the energy and the enthusiasm and you know it's kind of a different atmosphere it's a little bit more of like of a party atmosphere there like for coachella you, valley yeah if you go to the actor show arena like they have like several different points around the rink you know kind of alongside of it they have like you know these like standing bar areas right yeah those are you just get like yeah so you get a ton of like people just kind of gather there just like watching the game a little bit also just socializing so like it's a real lively atmosphere like i felt like i was in a nightclub there's strobe lights there's like you know like this is not my typical ahl experience right it's you know typically i know what to expect going into most buildings first time going into this building a lot different well it's funny like even you know anecdotally i can say going to whether it's you know even the cfl like i'm not a huge cfl fan but going to a winnipeg blue bombers game there's a thing called like the rum hut where it's like mm-hmm. a little section and it just becomes a place where people congregate. And I think that's yeah. important for, I don't want to say minor league sports, but not, you know, a big four like NHL, NBA, NFL yeah. sport, because a lot of the time you're going to get casual fans too. And maybe the playoffs is a different example, but I think that having amenities to sort of foster the environment of like, there's also fans that are casual, like it's there for strictly entertainment and maybe you don't even know one person on the other team's name, which is fine. Sure. Um, but having those kind of things there and the game experience is super important, I think. And I, I think, you know, there was other things too. I was even just seeing from, from either your photos online or just cr- shots from the crowd, but there was a lot of jerseys oh, yeah. of Coachella oh, yeah. Valley. Like there was, a, I would say that was, the most amount of AHL jerseys I've ever seen because even like Laval when it, they've had crazy crowds, they're mm-hmm. usually all wearing like either it's white or like they're all kind of dressed out in a color. Hershey, like that was all white the other night too. Mm-hmm. 
you don't really see necessarily jerseys, but Coachella Valley and their beautiful team store have uh, stepped it up big time. You know what it is too? It's a younger fan base, right? Like just the area, I think it just is a younger demographic. And so, so it's not a snowbird type. That's the interesting part, right? Like, so early on, especially like winter, they, they were counting on the snowbirds carrying a lot of the, the attendance burden. Right. And then kind of as the team got situated and got a little bit more integrated in, into the local area, started making those connections with the fans, the locals started making more of a presence. Now, and now we're into June, all the snowbirds have gone home and it's all the locals. And so it's the locals now filling the building. So that's kind of the cool thing, like how yeah. they've taken to the sport, right? Like, um, you know, even if you, maybe if, I, I guarantee you there are fans there that probably that was their first hockey game last yeah. Thursday night. And maybe they don't know offside. Maybe they don't know AC. Maybe they don't know a lot of things, but you know, the, the initial, just the initial appeal of the game, right? The speed, the physicality, all that, they gravitated to it right away. And like, you can pick mm-hmm. up on that and the rules, knowing all the rules and everything else will follow. Uh, so they've done a really good job of reaching out to the, those new fans and kind of making it feel like a, an atmosphere where like you can come there and not know all the rules and still not feel out of place. But that's what, that's what you have to make it like, seriously. Yeah. Like I, even, you know, the two teams that I've covered the most, like in the arena are the Toronto Marlies and Manitoba Moose mm-hmm. for them. Their bread and butter is kids and hockey teams and, and the younger demographic. And they've catered their prog to do that with mm-hmm. what you're saying with Coachella Valley and the locals. And maybe, maybe, you know, there's a lot of colleges in that area, maybe yeah. college kids, whatever. Cause I know, I even know because one of my best friends lives in San Diego. Him and his buddies at San Diego State would go to goals mm-hmm. games all the time. Yep. So if that's what it is, you've got to have those sort of game-type experiences that cater to that. Another thing, and we mentioned this last week, maybe conventional wisdom of these hockey markets isn't correct. For Vegas, it was like, oh, just people traveling will be – like I, I remember listening on a podcast mm-hmm. the other day. Someone said, does Vegas actually have fans or just people coming in? And And – person's like no they got fans they got real big fans and they do like vegas is a hockey market yeah palm springs yeah there's snowbirds that go there but if you look at it there's a big metropolitan area too Mm -hmm. right so maybe conventional wisdom isn't the way to look at it when assessing the the feasibility of these markets i'd agree and and if you look at the like accurate arena right like so there's a practice facility attached right on the side of the rink right like literally if yeah so if you're in the coachella dressing room you walk outside one one side, we'll take you to the main game rink. You walk out the other side of the dressing room. You're we'll in a different you building. Yeah. It's all kind of under one roof, but yeah, it takes you right into the practice rink. That practice rink is really the there there was there was one other community rink, but this is really like kind of the first really uh is there high, how many rinks, how many sheets are there? Have I just used? one sheet, but uh this is the first real like kind of like uh you know upscale rink that they have there in that area. That's and big. next year they're going to have the junior firebirds are going to play there, which they'll be in a league with, you know, like the junior LA Canes, junior Anaheim Ducks, junior yeah. Ontario rain, kind of that local Southern California uh, market. So, which is we've seen, right? Like ton of players are starting to come out of that market. Like that whole Southern. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, just population wise, you're pulling from a massive, massive base of people. Right. So even totally. if you only get a sliver of that population, 100%. That's a ton of uh, that's a ton of potential players to come out of there, and like I mean, look at Dustin Wolf; he's from California, right? Like the the back to back goalie of the year of the AHL, 
Just a kid and born Dustin in California. There. He's got to be yeah. there. And born and raised, too. Not one of those cases where, like, you know. Born in Cali, yeah. lived in Toronto or something. Yeah, like, no. Legit born and raised California through and through. And so, like, you know, what Jason Roberts, another, another, another example, right? Like, so more and more talent is starting to really come, come out of those areas. And, uh, you know, it makes you wonder, like, you know, where <clears throat> maybe five, ten years from now. Totally. Where, Absolutely. We're where the game is going to be because like you're getting that, that huge influx now of uh, not even just like U S market, but just like non-traditional U S market. Core mm-hmm. So um, it's going to be interesting to see like, and if you can start to tap into, you know, like a place like Palm Springs, Palm, Palm desert, Coachella Valley. Um, that's another potential area where you're really starting to hit on players. And, you know, there's some money in the area too, right? Like, it's a, oh, you know, it's a, a lot of money in that area. So, like, if you can just even get a little bit of that, uh, you might really have something. Games 1 and 2 in Coachella, away from the atmosphere. Let's get to the nitty-gritty. Just first off, actually, sorry, uh, let, let's clarify. Coachella Valley leads 2-1 to one over the Hershey Bears. The first two games, Coachella Valley annihilated them. Uh, with, for lack of, I mean, there's no other way to put it. They outscored them 9 yep. to nothing through two games combined. Then in Game 3... Hershey wins 5-4 to four overtime in front of the home crowd. Let's back it up a bit. Let's go into the first two games of Coachella Valley. Just as I alluded to there, but just a complete smackdown of, mm-hmm. of you know, it was lopsided. I think that, you know, the funniest thing about this, I was thinking about this when I was watching it, is, is I said, and I jinxed it, I said last episode, this won't be a series that's defined by goaltending. Is it defi- Has it been defined by goaltending? Maybe not, but... Mm-hmm. One goalie, Joey Decord on Coachella, is played excellent for the first two games, shut him out. And then, you know, Hunter Shepard struggled. So was that the biggest divide or, or the biggest outlier in, in those first two games, or was there something else? Well, uh, in, in Shepard's defense, well, the, the only defense he had in front of him, quite frankly, um, there was. Uh, frankly, so that first game was a 5 nothing game. That could have been 7 8 nothing easy. Right. Like, Got out of hand. Made some real like point blank stops. Uh, he, he was absolutely just peppered, and, and I'll say this: like Hershey hasn't seen anything like that. Like Rochester had elements of that. Like Rochester had some speed, obviously, some great transition play, off the rush play, that kind of thing. But they didn't have the finishers that Coachella does. And like you just you can't get away with mistakes against Coachella because yeah. they will just bury you. And that's exactly what happened. Same thing happened in game two, which. You know, every that was kind of the mood around the rink coming into game two. Like, okay, well, maybe game one was just a, an anomaly. Maybe Hershey just had to kind of get settled in, and then Coachella comes out and does it again, right? Like, and they yeah. they come in and they take over games. That's the thing, right? Like, like Hershey likes to jump on you quickly, but if they don't quite strike early, that you can see them kind of like sag a little bit. Coachella just kind of slowly builds throughout the game, right? And then by the second period, they were just they were off to the races. Well, the thing is, like, Hershey, they want to grind you down, keep possessions, pin you in your ozone. Where, not to say that Coachella doesn't, but it's funny because, you know, I can say analytically, they've never really been a dominant team in terms of team possession metrics at certain points. But where they do excel is in the slot. They rarely miss. You know, the first two games, for example, is 18 to 10 and 5 and 5 slot shots for Coachella Valley. That's according to Instat data. That's a pretty telling stat in my mind, and I think that it makes a lot of sense. If you look at the big guns that Coachella has, those guys can for sure fit in well on a Hershey Bears team that grinds you down and, and mm-hmm. 
plays that way, but they've got more finish and finishing touch. And as you said, they're lethal in so many areas, especially in that slot. Yeah, I mean, Hershey will get their chances here and there, but, you know, they were no getting nowhere near the inside of the ice. They were just, it was a lot of kind of like, you know, let's fling the puck at the net and hopes, hope it hits, you know, something, right? Well, like, you know, meanwhile, Coachella's, you know, point blank, you know, tic-tac-toe kind of play. I mean, and the time and space, like, and Coachella's ability to take something really from, like, nothing and, and turn it in, like, in a split, split second, turn it into a you know, primary scoring opportunity was was remarkable like you see it on tv right you see it like i've seen them live at different points and that's one thing i like but to see it like on this stage like it gets to a hershey team that like wasn't prone like one of hershey's strengths has always been they're very structured very organized they don't tend to have those defensive zone breakouts well they were breaking down left and right mm-hmm. like I mean, I mean i i think i like i highlighted some of the goals in game two there at least three of them were, were massive massive defensive zone breakdowns that you just don't see from Hershey. right um and i i don't even know that so much was anything that they were doing wrong it's just like coachella can make they can do that to you they can make you look really bad they can make you look like you've never played the game before and uh they're not the first team that did it. i mean this was a team that put up five six goals on dustin wolf for example and, and calgary so um you know i'm not sure, sure so much it was hershey uh, doing anything wrong as much as it's just Coachella's just on another another level. And even in game three, well, Hershey yeah, like, five goals to win that game, right? Like Exactly. So, you know, game three, five to four win, as I mentioned, uh, a, cl- a much closer game. But again, you know, Coachella's power play is really giving them something that I think yeah. it could tilt the series in their favor. Like, you know, you talk about the goaltending and yeah, sometimes it's not always representative, like save percentage, right. Of how teams going. But like, if you have a power play, that's clicking the way that Coachella's is like, they're at like 36% in this series. They're five for 14. Those have been all timely goals. That's huge for them. Um, I got off track there a bit. Sorry. I want to get to game three though. Let's, we talked about Coachella Valley, a new market, but as you mentioned, Hershey, where you are residing is a very traditional and storied, franchise in the american hockey league a very very rabid fan base and you can see if you look it up the arena was packed very passionate ot winner had a great goal song if you're a if you're a you know connoisseur for those things like i am like zach fish had a great call but tell me about the game itself how was it that hershey was more engaged and more in it on the scoreboard and with the eye test well one thing they're doing better right like game one especially they got in all sorts of trouble if you dump the puck in on Joey Decord, he's a third defenseman back there. And he was just completely disrupting the four check time and time and time again. I mean, and, and you're kept, you're watching, you're thinking like, all right, Hershey's got to make an adjustment here. Like you have to realize like you can't keep doing this. And they kept doing it. And he kept breaking out, like just, you know, like, and that just plays right in Coachella's hands. Well, they've, I think largely gotten away from that. Now they're like, all right, we're just not going to, we're not going to go there. Like we, you just can't, that element of the game, Forget it. Like you, because that's been Hershey's bread and butter, especially in the playoffs, is just dump the puck in, four check hard, you know, F1, sometimes F2, and uh, make something happen that way. Well, you can't do that because DeCord's firing it out. Like the zone, the zone exits were, you know, excellent in game one, especially. And Hershey was just getting caught up ice. So that's, I think, the biggest thing they've done. They've certainly gotten in the middle of the ice better. That's, that's another thing. And they've just been closing on. You know, in defensively, just you know, really in all sort of puck battles, just closing much, much better than they had been over in uh, Coachella Valley. So 
those were the three things that really stuck out to me right off the bat with that Hershey's doing. Um, and then frankly, they also just got some bounces, right? Like sure. they were, they were dominated in third period and overtime, like dominated badly. And uh, Coachella, you know, ran a shot off the crossbar, missed another like point blank chance. And then Hershey just kind of like, got, you know, a bounce flicked it in, you know, past Gord on the rebound. So, yeah, take what you can get, obviously. But uh, I know. should I should also mention, Pat, um, further to what you said, the numbers agree with what you're saying. Again, in stat data here, the first two games, Hershey combined for 10 5 and 5 slot shots. So five in each game, an average. Game three, they had nine. So that's a big uptick there. And those are the most, the, the highest quality chances you're ever going to get. you got to get into the inside of the slot. And, yeah. you know, maybe that is one of the bigger difference makers. Overtime, heading into that period, what was going through your mind? Just kind of what was the vibe in the arena? Oh, the vibe was, see, that's tense. the Urchie, tense. Or exciting. Ornery. Um, that's kind of the Hershey fan base, right? Like, so this is a team that's other than the original six is the oldest professional team in North America in terms mm-hmm. of hockey. Um, they're a fan base that uh, can be very supportive, but they can turn on that team. There's no question about it. And Coachella pops in three goals in the third period, two in the final five minutes. Uh, makes it 4-4 uh, going into overtime. That was not a, not a happy fan base, to say the least. Uh, it was tense. It was ornery. It was uh, kind of like... Everyone knew. I mean, sort of the unspoken thing was like the season's right here on the line because you go down three zero to Coachella, forget it. Like you're not, you're not coming back. Yeah. Even, Todd Nelson even admitted as much in the post game. Um, so, and then Coachella comes out and just dominates in that overtime. Uh, they're just peppering them, right? And and it, it, as is so often the case, it seems like in overtime, right? Like it's the team that gets dominated comes back and kind of just like a nothing play turns into the winning goal. So um, that was the mood there, but. Um, I got the sense from Hershey that, like, they were obviously they were happy to come out of it, but they also sort of knew that they had, like, you know, they had escaped. You know, that was it was not a pretty win. I mean, you know, you take what you can get, you know, in, in this situation, but um, they know that there's still a lot of improvement to go. There's still a lot of work to do, and uh, they probably can't get away playing another game like that against Coachella uh, because you, you know Coachella's come out game four. Dan Bosma's going to have his adjustments. And it's, it's sort of been a chess match now. Coachella hasn't had to make many adjustments, obviously. You know, up until this point. Now we'll see them make their adjustment, right? And that's what I'm interested to see. Like, all right, so how does Hershey handle that? Because guys, you're, you might see a little bit of a different look from Coachella just in terms of what they try to do. Who's the favorite for the playoff MVP do you think right now? I would have There's a bunch say, of guys. Yeah, Decord. Probably is the, is the top candidate. Cole Lind has been a real pest. Cameron Hughes um, has been excellent. Big time, big, big goalie. Time, you know, for my money, one of the top two way forwards in the league. Um, Max McCormick has certainly made a point. Uh, Riker Evans, um, young rookie defenseman, uh, has been phenomenal at different points. Really, actually, should say not different points, all throughout the playoffs. Um, you know, and it is interesting because like Seattle doesn't have a ton of prospects in the system yet, right? Like, they've only had two cracks at the, the NHL draft so far. So he, him, Ty Cartier, you know, you know, really are kind of the, the headliners in their in their prospect group. Um, and Cartier wasn't even drafted, right? So so Evans is kind of the guy, right? Shane Wright is 
kind of a different category as a first, you know, first round pick. But um, it's interesting just because like, so it is like the vets largely getting things done, but like you start to think maybe two, three years down the road, if Seattle can start cycling some of these prospects in, I mean, Seattle's already, I mean, they already got to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. Like the the future's pretty bright. um, If you're a Seattle Kraken fan. Absolutely. Um, Let's move over to the Stanley Cup. So yes. Vegas wins the cup. 24 of 25 players that appeared in a playoff game with Vegas had played in the AHL before. That shouldn't come as much of a surprise, obviously, but still, you know, to be 24 for 25 is pretty cool. As many know, you know, 88% of NHL players spend some time in the AHL. But what really caught my attention is the Con Smythe winner, Jonathan mm-hmm. show. He is the prototypical story um when it comes to a player that has all the skill but takes a little bit to figure it out a hidden gem thinks the game well has skill but couldn't just just can't put it together mm-hmm. and then someone takes a chance on him he takes the momentum runs with it and never looks back and i think that there's a you know and even carter Verhage on on the panthers too another guy led the age on scoring a couple years ago i think the march is so you know just such a great story and really i think in a lot of ways justifies that or maybe reiterates how there is such good talent in the ahl and not just the draft picks but the undrafted guys the players that there's a whole army of scouts that are all seeing the same thing and they maybe they all write off the same guy but there's always a scout that believes in someone like there's so much talent there fit is a big part of it but really ultimately opportunity too sure is not being five nine you know, in 2010, 2011, which that was Marchessault's problem. Yeah. Being 5'10 in 2009 was not. Um, that's, back then, that's why all he did yet. Back then, being 5'10 yeah. wasn't cool, basically, is what you're saying. 5'9. No, now, it wasn't. Now it's it was in not style. Cool. Now it's in style. Um, now it's in style. Now you're winning uh, Con Smythe. And, uh, but he was a 5'9, uh, and, you know, that might be stretching it back then. The best he could get was an AHL contract with the Rangers. Uh, went to at the time the Connecticut Whale, now the Harper Wolfpack. Um, did well there, ended up going to Columbus, uh, converted that into an opportunity with Tampa. Eventually ended up with Florida, then Vegas, via the expansion draft. And kind of we know where that's all led uh, up until last night in, in Las Vegas. So, uh, fantastic story. Uh, Yanni Gord, another kind of example, right? Another undersized guy coming out of the Quebec League, that again, like you said, somebody had to believe in. Somebody had to say, okay, this guy's worth a shot. Let's let's give him his opportunity. They got him. I mean, Yannick Gord was even more of a probably um, hidden gem. Like, he had to come totally. He, he was, he's from the coast. So he had yeah. To... So, um, and he's made himself, honestly, now into a top forward uh, with Seattle and, you know, a guy that's uh, just scored a huge contract. And, you know, like, so you got him, you got Arch. I mean, right out of this, like, for 80, I mean, it's such a thin line, right? Like, like I was talking to Dan Bilesma about that the other day. Like, here's a guy, he's Jack Adams, he's coach Sidney Crosby, Malkin, you know, like he's done it all. And he's like, yeah, it's a thin, thin line between what separates an NHL player and an NHL player. And a lot of times it really can come down to just opportunity, fit, like you said, having somebody that goes to bat for you. Uh, because you see how many of these guys, like when they actually get a real legitimate chance – in the role that they're they're suited for, 
mm-hmm. come up and, and make something happen. And like, you know, obviously Marshall is a probably an extreme example of that, but I mean, we've seen them time and time again, even t- like Ty Cartier came up this year, undrafted player fit right into the Seattle lineup, sure. build the Stanley cup playoffs jumps in and it looks like, Hey, you know, this guy more than belongs. So it's, it's real no, thin, real thin. It, it is. And I think it's, the Marcheseau situation, or rather the journey for him in particular, I think that it's been a while now that, you know, the 5'9 undersized guy mm-hmm. isn't written off just because he's 5'9. Hockey IQ definitely takes precedent in draft meetings now compared to maybe even 10 years ago in a lot of ways. I think the physical size isn't as judged when, you know, I think the scouts and validators have realized that people grow into their bodies at different rates. You can have strength in other ways. But what I think it's interesting about it is it's sort of it's sort of that cherry on top to it where it's mm-hmm. like that real, you know, vindication. And let's be clear, this doesn't mean that every guy's gonna turn out the way that Jonathan March show is. It just means sure. that it's an example of you gotta take you gotta take the lottery ticket. That's what the draft is. You know, the idea that you don't take a gamble on a guy that maybe progresses later. Like the idea like what if the draft was when you were twenty? You would it'd be so much different about double overagers perception. The order would be completely different. The idea that how you are at 18 years old defines your career is archaic, it's outdated, and teams have caught on. You know, you look at to bring it to today's, you know, game, two guys that I look at are Matthew Phillips and Alex Barry Boulet. Those are two guys where I could see it. If they get a situation, you know, especially Phillips, I think. He because he's right around the age where Gord was, where Marshall Show was. I think he's a year older, but it might it's twenty four or twenty five. He's twenty four. He's yeah, he's twenty four. He's he's you know done his ELC. He's done his time with the Flames the way that Marshall Show did with Columbus. And you know he may not work out with Calgary Phillips. I don't know what he's gonna do, but I have a feeling someone will give him that chance. Some scout will be banging the table to give him a chance, and he may not work out at all. I'm yeah. not totally convinced, me personally, but the point is you still got to take the chance on them because well, of what yeah. can happen. And I think Barry Boulay is another example of that as well where it's just a matter of opportunity for him. Well, you can be small now, but you can't play small. Right? That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing like for Phillips, for example, right? Like Phillips, Phillips plays like he's 6'2", 210. Like the way he goes to the net, the way he goes into all the high traffic areas, like, I mean, he's what? I think he's listed at five eight. I mean, I think he's five. I think he's actually listed at five seven. Five seven. Okay. I mean, even that might be a stretch. Quite. Frankly. Yeah. Um. But he he's plays, one of the yeah. best in the AHL, Pat, at like, getting to the inner slot. Literally fear- one of the best. Yeah, he's a fearless, fearless player. Um, he sticks up for himself, like not in terms of like you know, you know extracurricular stuff, but just you know, battling for the puck. Um, he doesn't get muscled. Um, aside easily, like like he, every every asset he has, he utilizes it right. And like so often, you you see bigger players who have these you know assets that they don't utilize right. Because I think for a guy like Phillips, he's had to use it every every step of the way, right? Like whereas totally. sometimes the bigger guys, they've been able to just get away with well, I'm bigger, I'm smaller, I'm stronger, I can just kind of have my way, and I don't have to necessarily develop those other parts of my game, right? So um, yeah, I think. Phillips and, and Barry Boulay would be a definitely somebody you, you want to take a shot. Why not? Right? Yeah, that's the thing. Like with okay, so Barry Boulay, he had a little bit of a cup of coffee with Seattle too. I think it was like two games. Mm-hmm. That time with, with Tampa. But for me, it's like I think he has he thinks the game really well. 
Mm-hmm. He's skilled, and he's not like Instagram hands, like crazy skill looking that way. He's just a very polished player, Barry Boulay. He, he he has that wow factor to him. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, like, I think that his skill can be stealth in some facets. But to people that really watch the game closely, oh, yeah. and people that I've talked to, like, he has the ability to really, you know, turn on a dime, think you through a move, and and all those types of things. Like, think through a move and and really beat you with his mind too. With him, like he's Tampa reclaimed him, right? When he's with Seattle, he's like the perfect depth for Tampa, right? If they have an injury, they bring him back up. So I think that's been kind of affecting his ability to become an NHL regular on top of, you know, other things that, that contribute. He, almost positive he's gone through waivers before. So people have had <laughs> their chance. But you look at a team like Chicago, you look at a team like Arizona, Anaheim, teams that are going to be skinny on NHL personnel, just take the ticket, try your luck. It's a lottery. Ooh. Like, yeah, why not? Right? What's the worst that could happen? At, at worst, he's age shell depth. I think that there'll be... I, I don't think they're, either of those guys will get one-way deals, but I think they'll be sought out. Barry Boulay, let me clarify, has one year left on his contract. Phillips is a UFA, so different. But trades can happen, whatever. But I think those are two guys that are kind of my Jonathan Marchessault-esque picks, if I had to. So so think about... just Let's say Marchessault, for example. So... Each of the teams, what did they spend on him? The Rangers spent an HL contract on him. Sure. Columbus uh, traded him for a pair of prospects who never panned out. He was a free agent for Florida, so just that's just money. And then uh, Vegas obviously was just an expansion pick. So really, like he's a guy that nobody's ever really had to spend any real, you know, in terms of player capital, um, any significant price on. Same thing with Yanni Dorg, right? Like, um, well. It- but also, just further to that Marshall point, it also reinforces like the value in the NHL teams owning their AHL clubs because you, when you have boots on the ground at that level, that's mm-hmm. where you can have a better idea of identifying the guys that slip through, slip through the cracks. Because as you said, Pat, it is such a thin line. Yeah, right. Well, we what's the word we hear constantly? Parity, parity, parity. Well, one of the things that comes with parity is the little, those little advantages that maybe people don't even think about. And this is why it drives me crazy. Right. People are like, oh, well, the CHL, who cares, whatever. Just, you know, it doesn't matter. No, actually, it does matter because you're looking for every possible little edge, efficiency, advantage, whatever you can get, right? Like, it, And that's what separates the top flight NHL teams that contend year in and year out from the teams that never do, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the top teams, they get those small details right, right? Like you look at the, the the amount, like for years, the amount of effort and, and and care and detail that the Tampa Bay Lightning put into their operation in Syracuse, and compare that to some other teams, it's night and day, right? Like mm-hmm. they all, it's just even having somebody, like always having somebody boots on the ground, always having somebody there, always having a presence in every game, for like sure. Not just kind of like it used to be. Yeah, well, you know, we, we throw our. You would almost outsource. You would outsource. We outsource your them. You know, and a lot. You know, the most extreme examples. It was like, well, sure. You know, we'll uh, we'll send our prospects to the other side. You know, you know, of the East Coast, three time zones away, and we'll let them run things there, and just we'll check in now and then, and and leave it. And whatever happens, happens. Now, obviously, there's so much attention now. You got skills coaches everywhere, development coaches. I mean, just totally. look at like what Seattle has with Coachella Valley, like the amount of resources they put into that team. One hundred percent. It's, and it's it's okay. Vegas is not the good example here, but generally because they 
were just invented. But generally, NHL championships are not only just drafted in the first round of the top five. It's those late gems. It's the later ones, the guys that usually spend at least a year in the A. So yeah. it's really important. In other sports, championships are built through free agency. In the NHL and the way that it's structured, that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. That's not like a franchise-changing player is not on the market. You draft them, you develop them. And also to that, those late-round gems become even more valuable with that said. Yeah. Let's get to one more piece of news here, Pat, before we sign off. Uh, coaching news coming in. The Wolves name Bob Nardella the head coach. Uh, the Wolves, again, are still planning to operate without an NHL affiliate this season. Not sure what that means. If if Carolina prospects stay, some of them, who knows. But Bob Nardella, a, a person with a very strong ties to the Wolves organization, will be behind the bench this year. Yeah, it goes back as a player all the way back to their days in the International Hockey League back in the '90s. I mean, so you know, you're going, you're pushing 30 years there. Um, it's it, a lot of it's still murky to me, right? Like we don't really know how this is going to work. There hasn't been an independent team in the HL since '94, mm-hmm. '95, right? Which was a whole. I mean, that was a lifetime ago in terms of yeah. player development. Right, that was the first. What, what the league even was? It's a whole yeah. different thing. It was a small. It was kind of a small operation back then. Was there even um, a development rule back then? That was the first year of the development rule, the veteran rule. So, okay. it was just coming in. I actually, I went back. Um, I went back to 1987. Since then, there's been three different um, independent teams, and to find that is basically like you don't have a dedicated affiliate. You're kind of just. You get a player here, you get a player there, you sign a bunch of your own free agents, and you cross your fingers and you hope for the best. 87, 88, that was Baltimore. 91, 92, that was New Haven. 94, 95, that was Worcester. Um, mixed results at best for all those teams. Uh, Baltimore, for example, uh, they what they were like 13, 58, and 9 or something um, back then. So Worcester struggled. New Haven was kind of a, a borderline team. So um we really don't know how it's going to work like they signed Corey Conacher a couple weeks ago so like an established AHL veteran um but for me the question is where where, where are you going to get once you get past your veteran slots where are you getting 15 not just young prospect bodies but just 15 guys that are like actually capable of making you a winning team because that's obviously the whole point of doing this for sure Chicago. So this, the only reason to do this is because you want to put a winner on the ice. Well, I guess my question becomes, how exactly do you do that? You know, working under those uh, those limitations, right? So yeah, I think from a marketing perspective too, it'll be tough. Like not to say that this is what brings people to Chicago Wolves games, but it's definitely going to be tough not having you know, blue chip or, or high-end prospects coming in or, or being part of your team for a bit, I would think that's going to be tough. It's also infinitely cheaper to do that with the the real – and just all the fees that go into that as opposed to paying top dollar. But we'll see. And also, keep in mind, too, this could last for a year. class for five mm-hmm. years. could be forever. We, we don't know. It's not like they're signing – like, they're not operating that affiliate for this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. But that's not indefinite and also, you know, it's not forever necessarily. That's the thing. We just we don't really know what this is going to look like. Uh, I guess the flip side of, of not having those blue chip prospects is well, maybe your team roster wise stays a little bit more stable. You're not dealing with calls and all that as much. So. Yeah. I don't know though. Like I really don't know. I could see this going either way. I could see this being successful. Well, we have no idea. We don't know what the roster losses. Yeah. Or I could see this being a real struggle. And, and you know, for me at this stage, it's still flip a coin. 
I'd agree. That's it for today's show, though. Uh, thanks to everyone for, for listening. And uh, oh, actually, one last question, Pat. Is sure. sure there. What's the food like at the Coachella Arena? What's the uh, concessions? Fancy. I know that. Um, fancy. Yes, uh, there was definitely. Uh, so they have like kind of like, like variety. Out- They've got different options. Yes. Uh, there was um, um, like an outdoor plaza, which is kind of the first time I've seen that at the HL level, which you can do out there, obviously, with the, with the climate. Dry and sauna and warm and yeah right so like kind of um, a lot of different options there are obviously your traditional kind of arena food options but uh, I know they had also um, uh, empanadas um, so like, that was a thing I noticed uh, I like that a little, bit, a little different from your, your your standard arena concession fare so um, I, like I know this I they spared no expenses um, putting that whole operation together like. It is fancy there. It is really nice. And I can see that's going to be a team, right? Like if you're, let's say you're a 24, 25-year-old AHL free agent looking to kind of get that next big contract coming up your entry level. Worst places to, to play pro hockey than uh, Palm Springs, Palm Desert, California. Beautiful weather, beautiful scenery, beautiful facility, mm-hmm. and a winning team to boot. Indeed. All right. Well, enough of my sidebars and distracting from the point. That's it for today's episode of the Hockey News on VA episode presented by BetMGM. And we'll see you guys next week.